0: Irish Media Network. We entertain.
1: Good evening, folks, and welcome to Irish Media Network Sports Update. I'm your host, Joe Caulfield, and on tonight's show, we're going to be talking all things horse racing. So, as many of you may know... The Irish government have allowed Irish horse racing to be the first sport to recommence on the 8th of June. Now, Horse Racing Ireland this week published a very extensive document on the protocol which will effectively be used to implement monitoring and regulation around all race meetings going forward in the weeks and months to come. I am very, very happy to be joined this week by my guest up-and-coming and and leading trainer of Fresnel, Black Magic Woman, and many others down in Clark and Stud. This week, I am joined by Jack W. Davison. Jack, thanks so much for coming on the line and chatting to me.
0: Not at all. Thanks for
1: having me. So tell us, how are things down in County Meath?
0: Yeah, everything is good, Joe. Um, We were very glad of the good news a couple of weeks ago that we could get back racing Mm -hmm. on June the 8th. Um, It was a very anxious time for for all of us in the in the horsey game if you like um i know there's a bigger bigger world outside of horse racing but at the same time it's uh it's our livelihood so it was good that we could get get the get the date back to june 8th as opposed to june 29th so uh you know we're all looking forward to getting back racing just we just want to get back to work
1: that's good to hear, and can I ask you over the last kind of eight weeks since since lockdown was imposed, how have you managed? So, is it is it have you had to scale back, or has it been business as as usual for you?
0: Yeah, well, that's good. That's yeah, that's been the real challenge, Joe, uh, because with dealing with 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 racehorses, they're you know we we kind of like to we treat them like they're a professional athletes. So mm-hmm. we we train these animals to to peak at a certain time of year and with that we need to increase intensity and then you know back off them a little bit so without a target race um it's very it's very difficult it's a little bit aimless and um, mm-hmm. you, you go through your routine main, maintenance training um which is fine you keep the horse relatively fit and healthy and um you need to the animal needs to be cared for it anyway but of course without racing it, it you know the whole thing is just a little bit aimless and the staff you know just even the staff get a little bit you know, a little bit bored, if you like, and we're just doing the routine work and without anything to look forward to. You know, it's all about racing and, you know, and and the preparation leading up to that. That's when the, the intensity and the excitement builds.
1: Yeah, of course. And actually, it's funny that you mentioned that because the first show we had two county footballers on and we were talking about how difficult it is for them to, maintain their motivation and their drive without a first championship match of the season to kind of work towards and count back from when you're dealing with animals is there any sort of psychological element for them to kind of maintain them over the course of the year or how does that work
0: yeah well that's the, that's the the kind of uh, the, that's the constant challenge that we have as trainers is just trying to figure out each animal uh, mentally as well as physically and what suits them yeah I can so imagine. You know, like like some horses, like they're all different, is the first thing I'll say. Some horses need yeah. racing to keep them focused. Some horses need more work between racing to keep them fit. You know, some animals are bigger. They're, they're fatter, if you like, so they need okay. more work. Other yeah. animals need less. So um, without a racing program, um, that all goes out the window. You know, yeah. so, um, yeah, no, they're, they're all different. They all need to be trained differently. So... Um, you know without, without a target then the whole thing is just a little bit little bit aimless
1: yeah and can i ask you then, in terms of um staff so you have am i right in saying you've you've 20 horses in the stables at the moment
0: yeah so you sort of fluctuates between 20 and 25 but 20, 20 as we as we as we sit here speaking yeah
1: okay and then how many staff have you employed to look after them to train them on a kind of a, an ongoing full-time basis
0: five staff joe uh ideal ideal ratio is kind of one staff member to every three or four horses okay and so five staff excluding me so i just kind of hover around and do and tie up the loose ends but yeah five five staff looking after the 20 horses which means you know uh, four of the staff ride out so Mm -hmm. four four riders will ride five horses a morning if you like okay do they live on on site and uh, no just one of them does just one of them does but the the other girls live they live two of the girls live quite close by and then uh, my other my other lad is monster everything Caldera, so he's a little bit further to travel
1: okay and are they deemed essential workers so there's been no like they're, they're able to go to work on a continual basis there's been no kind of lapse there
0: yeah we've been lucky in that regard because um we are our industry falls under the category of a you know of animal care animal care i would have thought that yeah so we we had an exemption in the first place uh, if you like from 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 the from the initial lockdown period so uh we were lucky that we were allowed to go to work because you know we had to take out we had to look after the horses so that just meant me providing letters to to my staff that would you know permit them to to travel to and from work on a daily
1: basis okay great stuff so I'd like to talk a little bit about your own career and how you gotta get into training because you're from a long line of, of breeders from your grandfather Walton Davison to your parents. You diverge then slightly from breeding into training. What inspired that decision in the first instance?
0: Um I'm, I'd like to consider myself as a sportsman. I love sports, my competitor. Um so I mean the breeding was what I kind of grew up in but the competitor and sports person inside me just wanted I wanted to compete Mm -hmm. by way of horses so that's kind of why I diverged and went in into racing you know more so than breeding.
1: Okay and you started off you did equine science in UCD and then uh, you were accepted into the Godolphin Flying Star program. Tell me a little bit about that and what was involved in it.
0: Yeah, so um, the Good Offin Flying Star program is is essentially like a master's degree in the in the thoroughbred industry. Um mm-hmm. it's 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 well regarded program. It's a two year program whereby you go around the world and you experience different industries under the, the global bloodsock banner, if you like. Okay. Uh, so you go around the world, you learn from the best, you meet the best, you get experience and um, basically it opens up a lot of doors that you wouldn't in, in a sh- in a relatively short period of time and um, that you wouldn't be you, you you mightn't get these kind of opportunities and you know without it so um it's a fantastic program it's all funded by Sheikh Mohammed the, the ruler of Dubai so mm-hmm. I'd recommend it but uh, okay. I, it is it is what you make of it as well though it's not just a it's not just a rite of passage to to go on and uh, and do great things or or or, um, get a great job you have to you have to work hard
1: no of course and i suppose that kind of springboards me into my next um question you then went on to work for jim bolger Hmm. which is uh possibly a rite of passage in certain ways but certainly not granted to everyone how was that experience Hmm.
0: Um it was it was a great experience. It was tough. It was tough, mm. but it was it it was great. It was a great it was a tough year. It was tough at the time. Um but it was character building. I'm, you know, it, it, it made me I am fairly sure that it set the foundation, you know, for me to go on and, and do what I'm doing now. So after the Godolphin Flying start, it was in a way it was a very it was a very different uh very different environment and dynamic but uh you know it was a real world taste of of uh, you know of the industry mm-hmm. and 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 i need i felt like i needed that grounding after being traveling around the world and in, in in these uh, fancy places you know yeah i decided i'd go back down to the you know the the hill in kenny and uh get back to basics and uh roll the sleeves up and uh take it from there
1: And I suppose from the fire pan into the, sorry, into the fire, because you went then to Guy Waterhouse in Australia, Hmm. which again was a very rigorous, tough, laborious job. What did that entail? What was your role there?
0: Yeah, that was, that was, that was really, that that was, that was tougher than Jim's now, to be honest, because um, I went in there as a, as a, an exercise rider. So, Mm -hmm. um, All of a sudden, I I think when I flew over, I weighed uh, about—I'd say just under eleven stone. But within six weeks, I was nine and a half stone between uh, there. Just just with the schedule, it's so hot, and you know, yeah, it was it was a lot of weight loss. But that's what that was just the routine I was in. I was riding seven or eight horses every morning, and then we used to take them to the beach, and um, it was all go. So uh, that was that was pretty intense, yeah. But then. good experience again yeah
1: and then you came back to ireland you worked with brendan holland and i i read in an interview with you that you said of of all the people and all the places you worked you probably learned the most in grove Stud with him Hmm. what did you glean from him particularly or that setup that really set you on your way or, or that has really set you in good stead
0: it firstly it was uh you know, it, it was a you know Brendan's kind of a self-made guy, so um, he with that you know he was a serious guy and he'd done it. He he created what he had, you know, off off the back of his own hard work and mm-hmm. and, and expertise. So, you know, I'm not not saying that there wasn't an automatic respect in in, in Gay Waterhouses or or Mister yeah. Bulger's, of course there was, but when you're working in a smaller operation like that, um alongside uh, Brendan, you know, and, you know, just having that interaction with him, you just, I just think you begin to to appreciate um, how he got there, what what he built and, you know, the detail that he went into, you know, because there wasn't so many layers of staff as there would have usually be, would have been Mm -hmm. in the the previous places I worked.
1: So it was his hands-on approach doing everything himself, Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, it was yeah, like from the feeding to 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 being very specific about the the exercise the horses did and the preparation that goes into a breeze up um a breeze up sale and getting a horse from from a yearling to a young 2-year-old horse and um making it as smooth as possible. Um yeah, it was really it was very you know, it's a very intense time for them um and to be in, to be involved with that for 6 months was it was a really good learning experience yeah and i was at an age where um i'd been around i'd seen quite a bit Mm -hmm. but i I just kind of i needed a place to to really you know really see you know really just sort of immerse myself in it and uh work for work for a guy who was was really good at what he did in ireland and i must mention that in ireland we've got some of the best horse horse people in the world so I think that you know down there in Cork and Hawaii it was uh, I just thought there was, there was gonna be a lot in it uh, you know for, for the stint that I did so I made the most of it and I got plenty out of it
1: and was it at that point that you made the decision I want to be a trainer going through that process or was it later when you went home? um to, to be honest with you I, I felt like I'd gone
0: so far like after the flying start and uh, working for Mr. Bulger and Gay and, and various other trainers around the world, and working hard for them. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I had, you know, I had my mind made up that I kind of owed it, owed it to myself, having worked so hard for other people, to just have a crack myself. So yeah. I I knew even before then that I was I was going to train, and it was just just a matter of getting another few months under my belt to to <laughs> to to try and hone my skills and not yeah. be too much of a rookie in my first year of training.
1: Well, like uh, you've really gone from strength to strength. There's a couple of things that I have in the back of my mind that I think might be highlights. But f- for you personally, over the last kind of three-year period, what really stands out as uh, some of the sweet moments for you?
0: Well, there was nothing like my first winner, Joe um, Black Magic Woman. Um, mm-hmm. She's she's debatably still my stable star. She she was my first winner, and that was just huge relief um i didn't make a mess of it firstly but just the feeling of it the feeling like i don't know you know you might know yourself as a competitor or any sports person who's watching this Mm. just the feeling of winning um after putting so much into it uh, you know um for for getting experience was just uh just so so uh so rewarding so Mm -hmm. that's when um that that was a real highlight um And i was young you know well like i'm relatively young in in trainers terms so just Mm. to get that confidence and belief that i could do it was 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 magic yeah
1: yeah relief is is an interesting one because once you have your first then Mm. you've proven to yourself that you can do it and particularly if it comes early ish gives you a lot of confidence i'd imagine
0: Mm. yeah yeah exactly um yeah like it was it, that was very important for me because i was i was in my first year as a full trainer so i was doing it professionally and you know ireland is a very uh the horse training in, training racehorse in ireland is very competitive and with that it's quite mm-hmm. cutthroat. so i knew that i need to make need to have made some impact in, in a relatively the early stages of my career so that was that that was that was Big for me in the context of my business and where I wanted to take it, you know. So mm-hmm. I, I've experienced, thank God, some some good growth since then with more horses and more owners, etc. But it, that wouldn't have happened without without the early couple
1: of winners. Yeah. So yes, yeah. that was. Big. And and I saw that. Um, sorry, I was watching an interview you did around this time last year with Off the Ball, mm-hmm. and you were saying how that you were learning all the time from your peers and also jockeys in the art. How, how intimate is the relationship between trainer and jockey at your stage?
0: Yeah, it's big. It's big, you know. Um, it is big for a young trainer starting out you, to, 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 I suppose, borrow the experience of the, of the senior jockeys who, who've ridden hundreds of winners
1: mm-hmm. and
0: listen to them. And listening is, is so important and trying to understand what they're saying and then discuss the horse. Um, just really analyze everything to the core um and i do even even now like i i obsess over this and and i i'll be texting various people at various times of the day you know asking what they thought of this horse and how did it feel when they worked them because mm-hmm. um trying to put the whole jigsaw together and uh and 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 then you know Get, get it to a stage where he can bring the horse to a race and, and get it to win there's there's so much that goes into that um and getting that i'm basically trying to get 10 years experience or I get a lot of experience in a short space of time mm-hmm. so um it's it's information overload but but jockeys chatting to jockeys about different horses is, is key but ultimately um i i'm the one that has to make the decision so um that it, it all all the more information, the better. but yeah. it comes to a point where you just you you have to make a decision, also.
1: Yeah, of course. Mm-hmm. And then I suppose, kind of talking about the big the big news is obviously that uh, racing is back on the eighth of June. Um, Horse Racing Ireland have published now this really extensive seventy-seven page document on protocol for monitoring and and regulating race meetings going forward. Look, it, it covers loads and loads. I think it's great, apart from anything else, that to be so forensic in bringing out this protocol. What's your take on it? First of all, the, the protocol that they've, they've published, and they intend Um
0: it? Yeah, I mean, it's it's not you know it's not it's not undoable by any means. There's um, there's a few procedures there that are you know quite easy to, to do. I mean, we've got a, we've got health checks. We've got to lodge paperwork before we go racing Mm -hmm. we've got to get temperature screened as we enter the race course to make sure that you know that our our temperature is normal so that you know we we are proven to be healthy um and then there's there's other there's other things like um you know the usual hygiene stuff like washing hands and and social distancing and one stable per horse and every stable has to be disinfectant disinfected before and after and um, the horses has, has occupied it so um it's going to take a little bit of an extra extra effort and maybe transport could be a difficulty for trainers you know getting grooms or um staff to the races um you know especially those trainers that are racing a large amount of horses that could yeah could prove a challenge but um listen we're, we're we're so delighted to be back racing that we we'll do anything yeah, uh, you'll see, we'll see. high compliance with, with with the horse people because um, it'll it'll have been eleven weeks since we raced Joe, and um, that that's a very long time in in our lives, you know.
1: Yeah, and like there's another kind of um, secondary element to it. I read somewhere that thirty thousand people in Ireland depend in some way, shape, or form, either directly or indirectly, directly on the horse racing industry. So, from farmers to farriers to breeders to jockeys and trainers like yourself to the media, how imperative is it that they get it right now to ensure that meetings can go on and there isn't another pause period to ensure the future of the sport
0: hmm. yeah well, it's absolutely vital because like an eleven week stop of racing has has really pushed us really squeezed. You know owners trainers jockeys as well you know those guys got to keep their weight in check so i think i think that we during the 11 weeks we had a good we had a lot of time to think about the, the consequences of not racing and we were dealing with it then and yeah. um, to a point where our our worst nightmare now is is a situation where you know we can't race so yeah. um it's very important that we all show a high level of compliance um when we're going racing um and we we did prove that we could race behind closed doors for 10 days prior to the lockdown so yeah and I was in Dundalk at that time as well and and I it was amazing how, how disciplined everyone was when we came to to respect uh, obeying the rules um so you know we're a good we're a good community like that we understand the importance that this industry has to our livelihoods Mm-hmm. And as you said to the component industries, farriers, feed guys, and um, and all the rest of it. So, um, you know, we we'll, we will be we will be making doing our best to make sure that this this has to go right. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, I think even the HRI going to such pains to lay out such an extensive extensive protocol is indicative of the fact that they take it so seriously. Mm-hmm
0: yeah absolutely 77 pages took a bit of doing
1: i could imagine that but, yeah. uh, good evening read for you can i ask when when will you be back racing
0: first day first day joe okay. yeah um i was on the curve this morning working 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 a lot of horses and it was beautiful out there the sun was shining and a uh, great atmosphere around the place because uh, racing will be back in nearly 10 days so i'll be there i'll be a nice couple of runners Two or three, and nearly every day thereafter.
1: I believe it would be remiss of me for the audience, if nothing else, to ask if you had any tips for us going in on the eighth of June.
0: Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. You could have. Uh, yeah, you could, for the gamblers amongst you, you could have two euro each way on um, a filly that I train called
1: Shorter Skirt. Shorter Skirt. Shorter a stick skirt. mortgage on it. <laughs> just two euro each way joe <laughs> <laughs> okay okay jack thanks so so much uh for coming on the show and talking to us good luck on the 8th of june and for the rest of the year um and please god look at it it'll it'll kickstart well you'll hear to the protocol and um it'll go from there in a positive fashion thanks a lot joe
0: appreciate it thanks a
1: million jack take it easy and that's it for us again this week, folks. Thanks a million to Jack for coming on and having to chat with us there. Thanks again to yourself, as always, for tuning in and watches, watching us. Tune in again next week for more from Irish Media Network Sports Update. And for myself, Joe Caulfield, be good.
0: Irish Media Network, we entertain.